0: Welcome to the We Got Your Six podcast, sponsored by the 99 Legacy Fund and the West Point Class of 1999. Here we share our stories and exchange information to let each other know there's always a good enough reason to be here tomorrow. We want to remind you that you're not alone in your struggle. We Got Your Six. Now here is your host and friend of the Class of 99, Philip Nathan.
1: Yeah, well, welcome to the We Got Your Six podcast. This is episode number one with Babe Kwasniak. So excited to talk to you today, babe.
2: Philip, same here, buddy.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, you know, with this podcast, We Got Your Six, I think one of the main things is, you know, mental health, suicidal ideations, all of these things that we can suffer with. I suffer alone, but we can recover together. So we want to drive home that point that it's a we thing and talk about what it was like when we were suffering, what we did and what it's like now, what that path to recovery looks and feels like, and that we can actually help each other, that asking for help is not weakness. Uh, and that we are here to do it together.
2: Speaking of weakness, I'm I, I get to do a bunch of these, Philip, and I'm probably more nervous today than I've been. And I'm like wondering like, hey, why, why am I so nervous? And and I know the answer to that is because a lot of my classmates, hopefully most of them will be listening to this podcast and, and what they think of me is, is important to me. And um, I know how I'm, we've been, we've been through a really rough couple of months here, uh, West Point class of 1999. So I can't tell you what a privilege it, it is to be on uh, with you. And I, and I know this is the first, we're going to have a series of a bunch of these and, but I, but I am, I, I know it's, it's, this is really important to me as I know it is to you and looking forward to, uh, to knocking this out.
1: Yeah. 100%. So for anyone who's listening or family members, um, who may not be aware of who you are, why don't you give us a little bit of a snapshot? I know you're a head coach and you're coach Quaz, coach Quaz and, you know, your military service, but give us that 30 second snapshot of why you're sitting in this chair today.
2: Yeah, my name's uh, Babe Kwasniak. My full name is actually Babe John Kwasniak. That's, that's one word. And yes, my parents, that is my real name. I didn't give myself that nickname. Uh, but I was, um, I'm, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, which is where I, where I live now. Um, But I'm a uh, I'm a West Point West Point graduate class of 1999 with with duty in mind, served five years in the United States Army Um, Then worked for a um, cancer diagnostics company for about for about seven years where I managed about a $37 million book of business. Um, And um, now I'm a high school basketball coach. This is my 12th year. I coached at my alma mater, Villa Angeles, St. Joseph High School in, in 2000. 21 i moved over to cornerstone christian academy uh, where i coached for the last two years and also i'm the civilian aide to the secretary of the army which uh for a lot of folks on here will know but uh that's a position where basically it's a three-star protocol where we serve as the conduit between the civilian sector and and the united states army so that's that's pretty much it in a nutshell yeah
1: so your class of 99 what Did you grow up in a military family was that part of
2: i did not no no i did not uh uh, the only reason i went to west point was the opportunity to play division one basketball and i know that's not the right reason to go i tell people now that if you made me list number one through 100 what's the most important thing um being one and the least important thing being 100 going there to play basketball is 100. i mean i met my wife there everything everything that's great that's happened in my life was because of that decision to go to west point and uh, you know, we'll get into this later. I'll never forget my guidance counselor. I I got a letter from them and I went to my guidance counselor. I told her and I said, you know, what's this place? I, I didn't even know what it was. I always thought the Army Navy game was played by enlisted folks. I had no idea. And she goes, oh, that place is way too tough. You, you'll never get in there. And okay, I'm going to West Point. And I decided, right. Like, you're not going to tell me what, what to do. And I've kind of, you know, kind of spent my whole life like that. Right. Just Proving people wrong. I mean, my guidance counselor and I, she said I wasn't smart enough to get to West Point, and I probably wasn't. And but I, but I somehow made it. And you know, being a five eleven white guy playing playing bas- playing basketball, which you know, people kept telling me I wasn't good enough. And then I went into sales, and I, I had to do something that I've never done before. And I had doctors and really successful business folks tell me you'll never succeed in this. And uh, you know, now, now, now here I am now, you know, kind of trying to always have a chip on your, on my shoulder.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Using that motivation of, you know, the feeling like not enough, but it, it, it drives you to try to prove other people wrong.
2: It does. And and I think that's an important point that we'll get to is the way it was explained to me a long time ago is, you know, passion can be like a, it is, it's a fire and that can heat your house and cook your food, Philip. But when that passion turns into emotion, it could also burn your house down and i think that's the epitome of what happened to me is um i, I people that know me you know if you're talking about batteries uh, you know I'm, I'm not a double a i'm not even triple a i don't even know if they make my per, you know my personality I, folks that know me will tell you I, I make coffee nervous right i'm just um i'm just you know driving forward all the time um this is not a facade this is kind of who i am uh, energy is my enthusiasm is my, I mean, that's my talent that was given to me from God. And, you know, when you're that way, you have the, you know, the highest of highs. And, and unfortunately, you know, you, you, you burn that house down at times. And that, that's precisely what happened to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, I like to talk to people about, you know, those human conditions. I had to learn a lot about what was a natural human state, pride, ego. These are natural human conditions and they're flip sides of the same coin. So thinking too much of myself or thinking too little of myself it's still ego. That's still a grandiose statement. When I call myself the best person in the world or I call myself a useless piece of crap, that's a grandiose statement. Um, mm. And understanding that everything we do comes with, um, you know, it, it, there comes a point of diminishing returns, right? And I hear you talking mm-hmm. about that fuel and that fire, but that could be the same. It's a double-edged sword. It's the very thing if we're not right-sizing those human conditions. You know, but I didn't know any of that. I I, I didn't know any of that, mm-hmm. and I suffered... From the idea that I just wasn't enough and I had to show up a certain way or that, you know, to be an adult and a responsible person, I had to take care of my own stuff. And if I couldn't solve my own problems, then it was something wrong with me. And, mm. you know, now that now that independence fueled me, it it made me entrepreneurial, it mm. made me get after and, and lead other people or be the example to other people. Um, you know, but it's also uh, one of the things that was prevented me from asking for help when I needed it.
2: That, that's such an interesting point because I look at all the problems of my life Philip, or because of ego. Right. And, you know, especially back when I was a young officer out of West Point, I, I didn't think I was better than you. I, I was pretty sure of it, you know, and, and you're right. I mean, if you don't, um, if you don't humble yourself, you know, God will. And I heard this from a, my, my pastor a couple weeks ago, he said, you know, when you compare yourself to other people, Um, you either think you're superior or inferior and neither of those glorify God. And that, that always kind of stuck with me, but, but I look at back at just my, my mode of thinking and what that did is it it created the opposite, right? Like thinking I was better than I was, or, or thinking that I was superior in any way, shape or form actually made me, uh, it, it created this facade, right. And it created this multi, this created this other personality of like, this is who I'm supposed to be. and really it, it made me shun vulnerability and say, no, like I'm, I can handle all this. Right. And, and the opposite was, was the antithesis was, was the truth.
1: Yeah. And I never considered anything like that to be selfish or self-centeredness. I had to really redefine those, those phrases and those words. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, like I, it's same thing, like I, I created this ideal in my head that I thought I needed to be. And I held myself accountable to this thing that I created on my own. Um, and, you know, at some point it was no longer about being useful to other people. It was about proving myself right. But, mm-hmm. um, and, and that was to the detriment of me. Um, but you know, I want to get back to it. So Going, we talked about going into West Point, you went there to play basketball. Mm-hmm. What did you come out with?
2: Love of country. You know, I think, I mean, I got that stone right above me duty honor, country. I think duty and, you know, duty gets talked about a lot. I will guard the limits of my post and quit my post when properly leave the honor code. gets talked about a lot of cadet will not lie, steal or cheat, nor tolerate those who do. I think country is the piece that gets lost on a lot of people. And I'll never forget um, my plebe year, which is our freshman year. I never forget the first time we were out in the apron uh, when they were playing taps for somebody who passed away. And I, I was just, I was just brought to so I just had so much emotion from that. Right. And and I had uh, my, both my grandfather served in the Navy. I mean, I, I, you know, sucks for them. I, I know you're an Air Force guy, so I'll try not to pick on you too much. And your air conditioned and your cable TV, but um, my, my my grandfather-in-law served in the Battle of the Bulge. He, he he served directly under Patton, and and you know, I just I never realized like this isn't free, right? People had to make sacrifices for 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 me to be here. And and the essence of leadership is about being a part of something bigger than yourself. Right, people aren't following you because you're in charge. Or the, I think the key word here is you know is trust. Why should someone trust me? And they shouldn't trust me because they they know I'm better than them. They should trust me because they know how much I care for them. And that that sense of community, that sense of you know I'm, I'm speaking to a lot of my classmates. And, and the truth is like when I was around them, they told me what I what I needed to hear, not what I wanted to hear. And then the farther you get removed from that. Right, the less you have people telling you that, and uh, I think you know we can get more into into that story. But that's uh, when, when I when I think about country, uh, I just don't think about the flag, or I don't think about you know American you know cherry pie. I, I think about the brother and sisters to my left and my right, and and hopefully that's what we're going to talk about because that's community is what I think of when I think of country. You know, us, U.S. Army, us.
1: Yeah, you know, I was talking to there's another guy. His name is Fran Rachopi. Uh, He was a special operator, West Point grad, Um, Mm. you know, and and when he when his tour was over, he struggled a bit. We talked about it. Um, He he used the tools that were there from Project Headstrong nonprofit association um, focused Mm -hmm. on mental health. I know you're familiar. Um, One of the things that he talked about that he came away the most with is something you just talked about, which was camaraderie. And that mm-hmm. feeling of at any given moment, he was never alone. And he did when he when he got out, he was a little bit separated and it wasn't there. It wasn't as strong, even though he kind of knew that it was there, wasn't really there the same way. And and I'd love to hear from you kind of when you, you know, what was it like to no longer have those people that you're shared suffering, even just PT every day or just kind of mm-hmm. being around, you know, talking and messing yeah. around? What did that feel like and what was going through your mind and where did that lead you?
2: Well, I didn't know, I I didn't know how much it impacted me until later, right? I mean, when you're in it, you don't, you don't realize it, right? It's like, I don't know. It's like, it's just like, it's like going to West Point. Like I I have a, I have a son who's there now, who's a plebe there now. And he always says, Hey dad, how come you didn't tell me this? It's like, well, you just have to experience it, right? Like there's no way to actually get ready for it. Like what do you, me telling you how bad it sucks? Is that going to help you? Like, No you just have to you you can't you have to experience west point and you know those relationships are are the same thing and and going back to my son he's such a i mean he's he got a 4.2 his first semester philip it took me two semesters to get a 4.2 and most of my classmates will know that i think i I went 2.0 2.1 so i think that adds up to 4.1 but I, you know i tell him all the time I, i'm like man everything you're doing in terms of competing everything you're doing in terms of school that's that's all important but what's most important Is the person to your left and your right? I mean, that's going to be everything. And um, I mean, I I mean, I have more guys on my t-shirt that literally saved my life, right? When I when I was at my deepest and darkest moments. And and, you know, if there's one thing I want to come out of this podcast, when it comes to mental health, is that uh, the invisible enemy doesn't care how smart you are. He doesn't care what color you are. He doesn't care how much money you've made. He doesn't care, you know, what Hall of Fame you're in or how many stars are on your epaulets. Uh, he will, he, he will, he will destroy you. He came here to take your thoughts and he does it by dividing your family and he, and he, he will intrude your thoughts. And in my experience, um, nobody's ever beat this alone. Uh, if I was, if I was alone, if I didn't have community, if I didn't have people to step in, um, I, I wouldn't be here talking to you right now. And that's, that's the honest. Got yeah.
1: To. Well, let's get into it. Right. One of the things that, yeah, you know, obviously, we're here to talk about mental health and you and I share a path, right? We both, you know, I, I tried to kill mm. myself. You know, I had planned out a whole suicide mm. and I was ready to do it. And I, you know, I can laugh about it now. We laugh about some of the things other people cry about us. But when we laugh and when we smile at those those dark moments, it's because we can relate and we find comfort in that mm. other person. You know, I ended up postponing my suicide to watch the season finale of Law and Order SVU, you know, a show that back then seemed so important and it was that one sliver, that one, that one piece of light that came through that says, not right now, let's do it later. And I haven't watched that show in nine years. Right. But and I have a path of how I got there. And and but I, I, I want to talk about your path specifically and what got you to that point where, you know, where that dark roommate was in your head talking. Right. And what was he saying and mm-hmm. what was going on in your life mm-hmm. at that time? And then we can talk about what you did.
2: Yeah. Well, so. so- I stopped. I stopped working um, for business in in like 2012 because I, I was coaching at the same time. And it was just getting too hard. I had I think I had 19 reps in nine states, and I was flying all over the place, and just doing. You know, both of them were just were just really hard. So um, in 2013, we won a state championship. In 2015, I won my second state championship with with the school that I that I went to, which I won three when I when I played there. So it was it was it was pretty big deal. But I remember. After 2015 we, we, we ended up like fifth in the country I mean we were really really good and I remember after we won I was uh, my dad's next to me he's at the time he was I don't know 73 he's he's 80 now and I remember him looking me right in the eye and saying you're not getting any happiness out of this and and I didn't feel up I didn't feel anything I didn't feel joy I didn't feel I didn't feel sorrow I just was just was just neutral, right? Uh, hate is not the opposite of love. Apathy is. And I felt nothing. And I didn't know at the time, but, but I was depressed. I had lost like 35, 40 pounds. Uh, my game was on, it was on TV. So a lot of people saw it and they were, you know, texting me and what's wrong with you and are, are you okay? And uh, basically it's just, it was just death by paper cuts, man. I, I just, um, I had a sister who died of melanoma in 2006. She was, uh, she was the first of five children in my family. I didn't realize how much that impacted me. Um, there was just so on, on the, on on the periphery, I was this guy who had it all right. Like successful high school basketball coach, uh, a a wife who's a doctor went to West point with me and all these things on the periphery were just this guy, this guy's got everything. And and inside, it's just like you talked about. I, I wasn't good enough. I wasn't a good enough coach. I wasn't a good enough father. I wasn't a good enough husband. I wasn't a good enough Christian. Like I just, I just wasn't good enough. And, um, I just it caused so much stress in the relationship with my with my wife because I love to brag about her. She was top of her class at West Point. I was I was more near where Patton was. And she was first in her class in med school. And I remember her saying, you know, this is stress is anxiety. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I I felt like I was going to die. I mean, I was having such chest pains and my whole left side of my body would go numb. It's, it still does. I have ringing in my ears. And I just like, no, this is not, I mean, just, this is not it. I mean, I'm I'm in, I'm in physical pain, you know, physical pain. And so I just had every test done, um, went to the, went to every single doctor you could possibly go to and my, my primary care physician, I broke my ribs one time. Um, and I went to my primary care physician and she wasn't available. So I had to go to this guy, this other guy, and, and I, I won't say his name, I'll, although HIPAA, I think only works the other way. But he goes, oh, I was wearing a duty on a country shirt. He's like, oh, you, you went, you went to, you went to West Point. I was like, yes, sir. And he goes, um, oh, I produced a movie there. And I'm like, thinking to myself, like, e- sure, sure, you did. And, and he did. He produced that movie time. Uh, and we just started talking, and he became my primary care physician. So as it as it moved forward, um, he was a big piece in kind of taking care of me. But in 2000 and. At, at, The end of that year, I was just telling you about in 2000, the end of 2015, beginning of 2016, I was um, I was kind of at the end of my rope, Philip. I I, the school I was working at, I had it out with the president uh, and I was 100 percent in the wrong. I just, you know, um, my standards, you know, uh, high expectations never survive low standards. And the standard I held myself to, I made the mistake of holding everybody else to which is I think a, a fault a lot of us West Planners have, whether we, whether we admit it or not. So basically I got I put on a leave of absence from, from coaching. And that was, that was very humbling. It was very humiliating, right? It was front page, all the papers out here. And there were all kinds of rumors going on, like crazy stuff, right? I embezzled money. I slept with a cheerleader. Like my wife had to hear all of it, which was, which was crazy. I, uh, you know, I basically told my, my boss to go stick it where it doesn't shine and um you know, a couple couple weeks after that, I. I if you've ever seen uh, I Am Legend with with Will Smith, that's what I that's what I compare. What I try to do was it was just one night. I I, um, I got in my I think I had a Ford Taurus, a show. It was pretty fast, and I was just uh, I was like, okay, man, this is this is going to be it. And it was both the depression and the anxiety. It was you know the impulsiveness, and I'm just tried to, took a bunch of pills, because um, they had me on this medicine that I couldn't stand, and I'm just like, I'm getting off this crap. So I took a bunch of it and I, uh, I tried to drive off a cliff. Uh, I was in Geneva, Ohio, and, and I've gone I went back a couple years later, and they actually had a barricade where, where I thought I'd try to drive off a cliff. And I've often wondered, like, okay, was I imagining this? like was, this, was I hallucinating? Was I dreaming? But the next morning, there was a pretty substantial bump on my, on my, um what's the word I'm looking for? Fender, my, uh, help me out. The bu- I'm sorry, the bumper, there was a bump on my bumper. And, um and my garage door was open. So, you know, I, I don't, I'm a control freak, but by, by, I just don't, there's a lot, a lot of times I've never blacked out from being drunk ever in my life. And I don't remember, kind of. And as you talked about, you know, like it's not I'm no I'm no quitter. So okay, it didn't work out, but now but now I started, I started planning it right. I, I can you talked about um, Law and Order? I'll remember one time I was on a bridge, in the flats in Cleveland, and I was going to jump. And I and I I prayed to God. And I know you're not supposed to put God to the test. I'm like, you know, if you want me to be here, just give me some sign. It, you know, because I really thought my wife and my kids would be better off without me. And um, at that moment, the song. Uh, one more night came on by Phil Collins. And I was like, Whoa, whoa. like, you know, just, and that, that's a lot of times what I tell suicide survivors, man, just, just, Hey, one more day, just one more night. Right. Just, just, just give it one more, just one more. And the next week I w- I went out to Chicago because one of my kids played for Northwestern and I went and stayed with a guy by the name of Doug Collins, who actually coached Michael Jordan for the bulls. Uh, and and coach was a mentor, didn't know me really well, but I had worked Steph Curry Camp and I, I met him, I met him there. And I stayed, I stayed at his house and Ohio State played Northwestern. And I remember after the game, we were eating a Costco cheeseburger. It was one of the best cheeseburgers I ever had. I don't know why I remember that. And coach looked me right in the eye and he said, Cat, like you think you're gonna get happiness from coaching 17-year-old kids? And like, and he said, he said, You're 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 messed up, except to use the word not in the Bible. And he said, You're so you're not. Okay. He looked me right in the eye and said, "You're not okay." And it was at that moment, Philip, that I that I went and uh, I went and went home and told my wife, "Hey, hey, honey, I need to get help." Um, and so I did. I I started to get help. That was a long, long road, as you know. I mean, it, it's not like it, it's not like just one session and it's okay. You know, finding the right doctor was was absolutely critical. Um, but that was in 2015. You know, I didn't come out with my story uh, until until 2000, until 2020, until after the after the pandemic. I'm sorry, during the pandemic. So in 2020, I got fired from the school I was coaching at. And and it just gave me a lot of time to reflect. And there were three there were three major occurrences that basically made me tell my story. So number one was I was doing a leadership seminar for a for a school out here called Lake Erie for a college and I was working with the, with the girls volleyball team and, and it was all about leadership, resiliency. And I, and again, I, I covered this all up. I, I compare it to an abused child. Like I didn't want anybody to know what happened and nobody did not even, not even my wife. Uh, I think she, she obviously knew I was suicidal. She had, she had made phone calls before that same doctor I was telling you about, they had the pink card ready to have me admitted. I didn't know this until later because at some point you've got to help save somebody from themselves. But anyway, going back to this Lake Erie story. So we were working, I was working with a team and um, basically the, the captain on the team, Mo comes to me and she goes, she goes, coach, you're making such a difference. She's like, we have one girl that's like, we, we've been really worried about her. And ever since you've been working with us, she's like, she's she's back to herself again. Like she's full of energy. And I was like, yeah, Mo, I really appreciate that. A couple months later, this is in two seven, 2017. We just won our third state championship. And I remember a couple months later that summer I get an email from her, Uh, she said read it and then call me, and basically that girl had had taken her own life. Um, I went home that night and I told my wife, I will never not tell my story, and she goes, you know, uh, once you do this, you can't put rain back in the cloud. I go, yeah, but if I help one person, isn't it worth it? Um, The second thing was, I was appointed as a CASA in 2019 um and i was doing i was talking in front of soldiers for the first time which for me was a big deal philip right like you can't snow the snowman so like these guys are guys and gals it was at a, it was at a dining out i was the guest speaker and i talked and i, and I told my story i said yeah man I, I needed to get help yes i needed medication uh but if my wife didn't love me when i didn't deserve her love anymore like i wouldn't be here and i know all, you know all you guys that you know think think you're so tough and i'm, I'm the last guy that a lot of people ever thought this would happen to. And after, after that, after that talk, there was, a, I'll remember this because it, I mean, there was, there had to be 400 people there. This black guy in a first calf hat comes up to me and, and I just, that sticked out because it was right during the George Floyd stuff. So I, I just remember, um, I, I vividly remember this, it might even been closer to right before the, the pandemic. And he was, um, he goes to give me a purple heart coin. And I'm like, I'm like, uh, I'm like, sir, I I can't accept that. I know what that means. I I cannot accept that. And he goes, um, he goes, can I hug you? I'm like, yeah, brother, get in here for the real thing. And when he grabbed me, Philip, he goes, you know, I don't know why I came here tonight. I wasn't even invited. He's like, I saw, I saw your name. I knew you as a, as a high school basketball coach. Um, But I have a son who served, uh, served in Iraq. And you said you had three sons and you were so sick that you thought your wife and your family were better off without you. Well, my son had three daughters and um, he took his own life, 28 years old. And he said, I, I know, I, I know I can't have my son back, but I, I've, I've always just prayed to God. Um, I just want to know what was going through his head. And when you said that your wife and your kids would be better off without you, I know that's what he was thinking. And man, Philip, you want know, to talk about like, I mean, I got chills. You know, two just hugging each other and balling on a, on a dance floor, right? Everyone looking at us like we're we're kind of crazy, but um, you know that was that was a moment for me. You're like, okay, maybe maybe this is what I'm supposed to do, right? Um, and then the third and last thing was right during COVID. There's a 2001 grad named Brad Hunstable. Yeah, you can. It's the the documentary is called Almost Thirteen. I, I urge all my classmates to go watch it, especially because we're all parents, and it it just it, it is super moving. And basically, the long and short of it is his 12-year-old son was a couple days away from being 13, was isolated because of COVID, and over a fortnight, game, he broke his TV, got another one, did it again. And basically, his 9-year-old sister went in and found him hanging from the ceiling fan, found, found him hanging. And uh, Brad's video that he put on YouTube went, went viral. So, um, and after that happened, I'm like, man, that's it, brother. Like, I, like I I, I got to do something. Like I have to do something and, you know, I, I, mean, I had concerns, right? I was, I was, I was appointed. I was at the time I was the youngest CASA ever appointed at the United States Pentagon. I mean, I just went into a, a veterans hall of fame with Ulysses S. Grant, John Glenn, Neil Armstrong. And like I was telling you before, like those were all positive for my ego. This was, this was going to be, you know, rough. Like I was going to have to tell people about the roughest time of my life. And I did, I went on a, I went on a podcast, Uh, with David nurse called the, uh, I think it's called the, you know, 1% podcast. His, uh, his uncle coach for the Toronto Raptors. He played for me in college at the university of Missouri, Kansas city. And I told my story and you know, it, uh, it got, it got a ton of hits. It was one of the biggest ones he ever did. And um, you know, he's written a couple of books and you know, after I was like, all right, I'm good. And, and the people that I had to tell, that's pretty much the method in which I did it. And, one of the stories I want to tell you, I think it's, it's so pertinent is, um, retired general Robert Brooks Brown, who is the um, CEO of AUSA or the president of AUSA. He was a mentor to me. He was an, he was in 06 when I was in Fort Lewis. He played, he played basketball for coach K at army. So he's, he's a guy, I mean, I just always got along with, um, like a follower to me, taught me how to barbecue, taught me, taught me how to be a man, taught me how to be a Christian, taught me everything about being a soldier. And I remember, um, after i got sworn in that fall he he was uh he was retiring after 38 years in the army and we sat down to have a to have a beverage and and i start i started telling him philip but i i couldn't like i just started saying you know sir i was struggling and he's like oh i should have been there for you and i'm thinking to myself you led our country in two wars what do you mean you weren't there for me and um i don't know i i knew he wouldn't judge me but i, I just chickened out man like i couldn't look at the person who meant th- who I respected the most, if I can be any officer, if I could be any human being, it would be it would be Bob Brown. And, and for some reason, I just, I, I can't even explain it. I, I just I feel like a coward, I just couldn't tell him. So when that podcast came out, I called him, he, he is my hero for a reason, his ADHD might be worse than mine. And I said, sir, listen to this, it's 52 minutes long. He said, ah, can't I can't, I said, sir, please, I'm asking you, just listen to this. And Philip, 53 minutes on the dot, phone rings, pick it up. And, uh, Quaz, I'm so proud of you. And, and it's like when you're in a field training exercise and all you want is a sun to hit your face, right? You're cold, you're wet, you're hungry. And, uh, when he said that, when he said, Quaz, I'm proud of you, man. I got like, the, like my whole life just like felt that was better. Right. The guy, the guy, you know, isn't disappointed in me. And I knew he wouldn't be, but then I said, um, he goes. He goes. You're going to help so many people. You're going to save so many lives. And I'm like, Whoa, whoa, sir! I did my duty, right? I told my story. I I, I don't I don't want to do this anymore. And he goes, No, 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 babe. I, th- I think I think you have to. I think I think you have to tell your story. Um. So I'm proud of you. Um, and that he's like, and I believe in you. I I believe that you can do this. And then and then finally, uh, his three daughters, Kelly, Kristen, and Brooke, were like sisters to me. I mean. Uh, one of them actually taught at West Point. The other one played lacrosse at um, at Oregon. I went on a recruiting visit. I mean, they were. I mean, I helped raise them, right? And then the final part was, you know, I was like uh, his wife, Patty. I said, "Sir, do you do you mind telling the girls?" And uh, you know, he said, "He said, Quas, you think they're going to love you any less? Said, we we love we love you. We love you no matter what." And you know, so that's something I I've tried to do, right? I'm proud of you. I believe in you and i love you and you know when you start living that way and you you try to do that every day with somebody you know with somebody that you love it, it's 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 amazing um you know what that can do just for your for, for, for your mental health nobody nobody's ever died from being loved too yeah. much
1: yeah no it's <clears throat> you know what it is is we're uniquely qualified to be useful to each other in a way that no one else can no amount of you know Mental health professionals and doctors, they all have a place and a a purpose, but because we've gone through the actual experience of suffering, finding a solution, working that solution, and then now being able to live in a different way, we can give that back and be of service to other people in in a different way. It also, it fulfills us. It reinforces why we continue to do the work on ourselves that we do but i think what it also does like what it did for me when i heard someone else sharing their experience and i suffered with you know mm. alcoholism and every the suicidal ideations and just like i want to go back to what it was like there but what they did the most was they gave me the vocabulary to express mm. what i was feeling and thinking even though they were doing different things they were drinking different, maybe they were they were the activities that were going on were different some were married some weren't all these other things but the yeah. way they felt on the inside and that despair and that loneliness and that feeling of or that repetition of that narrative that they just don't they're better off without me I'm actually mm-hmm. a burden on them and the uh justification that I would do that dark roommate coming in and say here's another example of why they're better and here's why it'll be better if you weren't here and it doesn't matter anyway and it just like you know when they when they were putting together the vocabulary that's why i share so graphically about what was going on because i'm giving and it sounds like you do the same thing we're giving others we're not glorifying the the moment we're giving you the vocabulary to express what's going on with you cuz i didn't have it i would have just been like everything's messed up you know like yeah. I, I don't know. Like I mean, if you had to live your life being me all day, you would think this way too. You would drink like this. If you had to be a piece of crap like me, you wouldn't want to be here either. You would. And I and I was so I would have passed a yeah. lie detector test uh, with the the belief that I had. And and so um, mm. what we do, uh, yeah, it's this is how we can help.
2: Well, and unfortunately, that's not where my story ends. It's kind of where it begins, Philip. So I mean, I got these two guys on my on my shirt. So. um when I came out with that podcast, that was in I think June of 2020. Uh, this this guy right here, uh, OJ, I, I'll never forget. He was the first guy to call me, and he was like, it was like, "Hey brother, I'm I'm so proud of you. You're gonna again, you're gonna save so many lives." And and I remember what he said, he goes, "How come you didn't? How, how can you not tell me?" Because it's my it's my classmate. We were really close. I go, "Jeez, I, I didn't tell I didn't tell my wife. Like nobody knew." said i ain't talking about the relationship between you and your wife i'm talking about the relationship with me and you and i was like whoa like like that um you know that really hit me hard and um a couple months later um mm-hmm. it, uh it, the following february he um it's, it's always it's always tough to say it, this guy right here brian brian Talley, our classmate um called me i, I was driving um, I was driving my, my kid home from school, my, my fourth grader, the previous week, Philip, we, we just helped, uh, another guy from the army rugby team that was, that was struggling. And I was feeling pretty good about myself, right? Like, Hey man, this is kind of what we do right now is, is we help people. And, and Brian goes, uh, Quaz, where are you? And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm driving. I said, BT, I'm driving my kid home. He goes, you need to pull over. And I'm like, no, give it to me. I'm good. Um, and he said, uh, no, you need to pull over. And and I wouldn't. And. He was on a skiing trip and he goes, uh, okay, I'm just going to give it to you. He said, OJ shot his wife and he killed himself. Um, and I got over on the side of the road. My, my, my poor son who was 10 years old you know, I was throwing up. Um, and the reason why it was, it hit me so hard because that time that he called me to tell me how proud he was of me, he started talking about how how he had a, a situation back a couple years ago where he had his, his head was bleeding he was, he had like an out-of-body experience. And, and at the time, Philip, I was just worried about like, what's this going to look like for me? Right. How is it going to, how are other people going to react to this? And, and first off, anyone that knows OJ, like the dude was, I mean, gregarious, he was, he had a, an infectious personality. Like I've never seen anybody in my life, like we were at the press school before Obama, we would always joke that he was going to be the first black president because, it, I mean, he, he just had an innate ability to make everybody like him. I've never, ever, ever seen anything like it. It was just absolutely incredible. I and mean, his two favorite artists are Tupac and Taylor Swift. I mean, that tells you a little bit right there. And, you know, when that happened, it was, um, I mean, just not the fact that even that he killed himself, but the fact that I knew about something before and, didn't really do anything it because it was all new to me and me 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 right and the fact that he shot his wife Jennifer who she she's alive um, she's I don't know she's on like 18th plastic surgery she looks amazing now so Jennifer if you're watching this I love you um, two kids uh, Chris uh, who's in college and, and Landry who's a senior about to graduate um, it was just it was just rough and and this was one of the best friends I, I ever had and so the kids called me and and at some point, we're, we're like, "Hey, Uncle Quaz, we want you to do the eulogy." Jennifer was still fighting for her life. Uh, his ex-wife, Jacqueline, was like, "You know, I, I think I think you should do it." And I don't know. It just it was just too much. Philip, I was like, I, "I just I don't I don't think I can." So I fly out to Texas for the for the funeral. Um, and the day bef- the day before, which it was St. Patrick's Day actually, and um, I, I met Brian. Uh, Yeah, I met Brian and my other buddy Shane Belvin, who was, used to be stationed. They were stay, the three of them were stationed at Fort Hood together, and we went to some dive bar in Colleen and and just uh, and had a drink and and um, and Brian was basically like, like, "You're you're doing the eulogy," like, "No, brother, you are doing the eulogy tomorrow." And, and I spent all day with Shane and Shane. We went to the PX and got a sandwich, right, which was kind of cool. And and he's like, "No, you're you're doing it. You have to do this." And and I did. And I'm and I'm glad I did, Um, but I'll just you you'll never forget just the sadness, right? And it man, if if we if we send this to Netflix, they wouldn't believe us, Philip. They they really wouldn't. So we we, was buffering there a little bit. So so we get through that, and then um, in July of this past year, uh, my phone rings and. It's, um, it's Brian's wife, Brian's wife, Amy. And I didn't answer it. And my same son, we were taking him to a baseball game. He's now at that point, at that, he was nine. Now he's at that point, he's 10. And, um, uh, my Laura goes, why would Amy be calling you? Uh, so I, I call her back and, um, you know, she was pretty frantic and she said, Brian's babe, Brian's gone. I, um, uh, I'm sorry. Um, I, I got out of the car and my wife's like, we got to go to the hospital. I'm like, why do we get go to the hospital? She said, baby, your, your tiger skin's purple. Like you're going into, like, you're going into shock. Like we got, and, and I, I still don't know how Amy did that. I still don't know how she called and told me, um, you know, uh, and then we'll get into this in another episode, but I, I, I had to know how he did it. I'm like, I have to know, I have to know Amy means like, he did it with his gun. Um, and, you know, for his daughters, Avery and, and Audrey Bear, I love you like my own. And, um, you know, there are two completely different situations, Philip. Like, I'm not a doctor. My wife reminds me of that all the time. But when you think of like, like OJ was, was dealing with a lot, man. I mean, and the way it was explained to me, it's like stage four cancer or state, you know, cancer I and mean, some have stage four cancer and some have stage one cancer. I think OJ was probably stage four cancer. I mean, he was, he was really battling some demons and, and, and in my heart, I still believe to this day when he fired at Jennifer, he was firing at the voices in his head. He wanted the voices to stop, which I think when he took his own life, he, he was killing the voices in his head. And I know that because that's what he told me he was, he had. And uh, a year after OJ died, we were on my porch right here for a, for a, um, a fundraising event I used to do for my sister's cancer foundation. And it was the first time I saw Jennifer because Jennifer came and surprised me, which was awesome. I mean, she was, you know, she still had all the battle wounds and, and it was the first time I got a chance to tell her that I knew it wasn't my fault, but OJ did tell me. And the people that are holding me up were Amy and Brian Talley. I mean, if you knew what those kids have been through, if you know what Brian had been through, you would know there is no way in heck Brian would ever do that to his family, just no way. And the last text I had from Brian was, he he wrote me and he said, um, he said, hey hey Quaz, I'm struggling man, pray for me. I'm, you know, I I can't sleep. He He was on a new medication, which both times that I actually attempted to take my life, I went cold turkey off the medication and, and he goes um i'm like b do you need to talk and um he said no i'm good and i remember my last text to him was was after your feelings um they're not who you are just because you think something that don't mean who you are and um and uh brian was always great at saying i love you he, he said I, I love you and i said i love you too man i'll you know i'll talk i'll talk to you later um his deal was probably stage one, like mine, right? Like, uh, and that that's why it's so hard for Amy, for his kids. Cause we just think, hey man, maybe just one conversation, right? Like there's nothing we can do for somebody that has cancer, right? And if somebody dies in combat, there's nothing we can do. The hardest part about this, the reason why it's so tragic Philip, is so many times everybody thinks, hey man, maybe there's something we could have done. And guess what? Maybe you're, maybe we're right. I mean every conversation can absolutely matter so so how, why do I say that? I, I say that because these two guys in this t-shirt have both saved my life and and now they're not here and you know there's been after OJ died, I remember General Dempsey called me and I was like just in so much pain and he and he said uh, you can't blame yourself. I go, sir, how are you going to tell me that I'm helping people, that I'm saving lives, which I can't save lives. Only, only one person can do that. But how can you say that? And then turn and say, there's nothing I can do. It can't be both. Which one is it? And, and so much of the guilt now, uh, Philip is like, I, I I do deal with this a lot, way too much. And there's, there's days where I get on my hands and knees. And I'm like, God, man, if you can give this to somebody else, give it to somebody else. But I also know the reason he gave it to me is because I can handle it and because I've been through it. I, I think what's so, where the guilt comes from is of all the people I've been able to help to the people I love more than I couldn't help.
1: Yeah. It's the ones closest to us that, um, that hurt the most, but it's, you know, I keep coming back to this. What I learned was that the more I tell my story, the more I give permission to other people to feel what they may be feeling and don't want to. And, um, you know, I've lost people along the way, too. It's, you know, one guy was texting me the night before, and I didn't, I, you know, I didn't think anything of it. We were joking around, and it never dawned on me to ask him if he was just reaching out for help in a different way. And then I get the call the next day. But you know, one of the things we want to do with this podcast, the most, it's not just for the families to sort of provide some relief that they did nothing wrong, but it's also for the people that are listening to this that are struggling and suffering in silence. Sure. And what I found is when I started asking for help, one, the help showed up and I realized I was no longer alone. There were other people that had this same narrative, these same voices in their head and the work that I did, to unlearn some of those ideas that were in my head. I did it with other people and I was acting my way into a better way of thinking. And one of the things they told me, something you said earlier is that feelings aren't facts because you feel that way. It doesn't make it true. And I was like, what, I mean, I just had no concept of that, but we did it together. Like go back to those first couple of days of, or those first couple of months for me, it was like that first six months of me, meeting new people that mm-hmm. felt the way it was just this feeling of camaraderie that i never felt before and we talked
2: well let me yeah see i mean i get those questions all the time right like so are you still do you still have suicide ideations yes i do i, I absolutely do um my feelings don't define me right uh and to me it's a different Difference between motivation and discipline. Motivation is doing what you what you feel like doing. And anyone that graduated from West Point knows that if we felt like doing it, we we wouldn't have done it. That's discipline. And there's only one type of discipline, really. That's perfect discipline, right? You do it no matter what, every time. And it's just a it's just a shift in mindset, right? Like I, I'm I'm a guy who's been resilient, you know, his entire life. Like if you ask General Brown, he he he'll tell you, like of all the people that ever worked for me, the thousands and thousands. Quasi, the last guy I would ever thought to go through this. The one thing I'll say, I mean, you were courageous enough, or strong enough, or whatever, however you want to word it, to ask for help. When I was where I was, Philip, I, I, I wasn't saving myself, man. I, I had somebody had to look at me like Coach Collins did, and and tell me that I was that I was messed up. And my, you know, my wife tried to do it, and it, that's the best medicine I, I could ever get was her love. And she always jokes and says, when she writes her book, it's going to just, in fact, in, just in terms of dealing with me. But I think that that's the first thing to understand is we are so much more equipped than anybody else to help each other. We we, we, we really, truly are. Um, you know, we, we think, oh, you have to be, you know, you have to be trained or whatever. No. And, and, and it's one thing to say you're going to be there for somebody. In my advice, like, don't say, hey, if you need something, reach out. Like if somebody's where I was, that's the last thing they want to hear. That's the last, just reach out. When um when Brian died, man, I I I've never felt pain like that in my life. Like ever. I, I mean, what I went through, there's nothing compared to the pain I felt when those two guys died. Because you start thinking, okay, is it, did I give him the idea? that I and uh Maddie Koontz is a great friend of mine, our classmate. He I'll never forget this. He called and I wasn't talking to anybody, so I wouldn't pick up called again i wouldn't pick up he kept calling because he's a suicide survivor himself and he knew the deal philip he was going to keep calling until i answered. so i finally picked it up and hey maddie man and and man maddie if you're listening I, I love you so much brother you're a big reason i'm still here um i mean just he he, he talked me through it uh dr Wren, glenda Wren's another one uh psychiatrist i'm like doc you're my classmate can't you can't you take care of me she's like no i love you too much She's like, it's, a, it's a conflict of interest, but she's another person. Like if she knows I'm struggling, like she won't ask, <laughs> she's you know, she's like, you will text me back. And that's cause those folks know you, you get to a point. I mean, I've, I've used some of the craziest lines Philip when, when you know somebody's at the point, like you mentioned of diminishing returns. I've told a kid before, Hey man, if you still feel like doing this tomorrow, I'll do it with you. Just give it one more night, man. Just give me, just give me one more day. Because depression, like I said, is is not a feeling; it's a state of being. At that point, you're 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 not feeling anything, right? And and sometimes it's amazing how you're never going to snap out of it. But it's just like one person caring can 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 really just make all the difference in the world. So the number one piece of advice I'm going to give to everybody here is you put the person on the spot. So I I, I you. You reach out to me, right? I think you're you're not feeling a certain way. I say, hey, Philip, are you, are you? And they teach you to say harm yourself. I don't know. With veterans, I think it's different. I just flat out ask them, hey, Philip, are you thinking about ending it? Are you thinking about taking your own life? And that does two things. Number one, that puts them on blast, right? So, oh, like you said, did you you told me that story about you, knew you were at Home Depot looking for the rope, and you felt like you felt like a sense of relief, right? Like, okay, now this is all going to be over because every time normally there's the calm before the storm because they feel like oh they don't want to die they want the pain to go away both the mental and the physical pain to go away so at that point they're going to be so now you, not, now you put them on blast the second thing and it's the essence of leadership right it's the most important thing i think i learned at west point is soldiers don't care how much you know so they know how much you care oh someone actually gives a crap someone actually cares and as leaders isn't it our job to see something in people that they don't see in themselves to see a soldier and say, Hey, you don't think you're this good. I'm telling you, you are this good to, to a recruiter that look at a kid who plays sports and who's about a part of something bigger than himself to look at him and say, Hey, young man, no, no coach. I could never go in the army. Yes, you could. You'd be perfect. And you would thrive at it. And you would probably end up doing 20 plus years, right? It's we have to see something in someone that they don't know in themselves. And if we can't do it with the people we love the most, then, then what are we doing, man? It's just so that that's so important, and at that point, I needed to be saved from myself. Like, my wife knew I, I was suicidal, like, people close to me knew. And the truth is that if I was still with my pack, Philip, if I was still with OJ and Brian every day, they would have looked at me and said, Dude, you're, you're up, what's wrong with you? Like, why are you acting like this?
1: Well, that
2: and that's. The hard reality of, w- of what happens, right? We get out of that, and we trade, like you talked about, we trade physical fitness for happy hour, and we trade, you know, you become a business, and and all we we we're institutionalized, man. We're the army isn't like a family. We are a family, and these people are they're they're literally our 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 lifeline, and you know, someone General Ham once described that as, and I love this analogy. It's it's like reacting to fire right we're getting we're hearing shots and we're not reacting the fire and we're leaving our, we're leaving our people on the battlefield and that's not right it's
1: not yeah right. and i think that's i mean that's mainly the the big point of this podcast and why this exists right because as we talked about before in isolation when i isolate away from my community and my people it's easier for me to have thoughts and to be messed up without anyone noticing it's why i continue to go to meetings it's why i continue to check in with other people i have people that i call on a daily or every couple of days basis and we check in with each other what's going on and i hated doing that in the beginning because i felt like i don't i don't need to do, <laughs> why do i need to check who, who do you think you are like i'm fine i'm gonna yeah, be okay yeah, and stop correct. calling me i don't need to check in with you but there was a guy his name's ian he said call me every day at 8 o'clock and if i called him at seven fifty nine, he didn't pick up if i called him at 801 he didn't yeah. pick up if i called him at 8 o'clock he picked up and he put a discipline in yeah. me because I was undisciplined in a way that I had not even known, Um, because it wasn't Uh about beating me up, and it wasn't about doing something difficult. It was about doing something in the opposite of what was going on in my head that I thought was a good idea, and that's where it started. And Those daily conversations made it easier for me to tell him when something was going on with me, but more importantly, because he was talking to me so often and seeing me on a regular basis, he knew when I was off, and if I didn't call him for a couple of days, that phone was ringing because he knew something was off. What's going on with you?
2: And let me, and let me say this. If I'm sorry, I don't want to cut you off. But when it comes to the, the United States veteran, and especially us West Pointers, right, we don't have the relationship that necessarily needs that to make an impact, right? Like I, there were people at OJ's funeral that never met him or people at Brian's funeral. But like you have that bond. And that's kind of what we put up with that bullcrap for, right, for for four years and then five years afterwards or, or even more, right, is you have that bond you know, let me give an example of that. So before our 20th reunion at, at the Academy, which was, which was what? Yeah. T- 2019, my wife was diagnosed with, with breast cancer. So it's like, we're a week out from going to the class reunion. And, and I'm like, you know, you have to tell people. And she's like, no. And I completely disagreed with that. She's a very private person. She's, uh, you know, just think the exact opposite of me. And, and, um, and I, I was like, this is, this is, this is stupid, right? Like, I, I don't agree with this, but she wanted me to tell nobody. So I did. I didn't. So we went, had a great, and she didn't want to ruin anybody's time. And she didn't want the focus to be on her. Cause that's just, that's just the essence of who she is. So we're, we're driving home, which is like a seven hour drive from West point to Cleveland. And she hands me a list Philip. She, of all the people I have to call, I'm like, well, this is going to be about as fun as indoor recess, right? Like this is going to suck. And I, I it was a, a bunch of her girlfriends and I'm sure a ton of them are going to be listening to this and Nicole Monera, Stephanie, Christina, Jeanette. Um and I, I just I got that over with because I'm like, it's gonna be tough to talk to her friends, right? Like that 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 part's gonna suck. Then I'll call like my buddies afterwards. And the craziest thing happened. So I got through that. Like, I mean, they they were all and they were all West Point women, so they're strong as can be. And you know, nothing but positivity, nothing but grit. And I mean, a couple she has a friend that literally wrote her a note every single week. She was sick, just Again, not saying I'm going to be there, but actually being there, right? There's a substantial difference between telling somebody I'm here if you need me and just showing up. As, I'm standing right here. Now that could be virtually, that could be through text, that could be, right? But there's a, there's a big difference in that. But I remember we're going to call my buddies and how much it shook them. And that was the part I was kind of like shocked about. Like, uh, and I mean, I don't want to name everybody, but like Chris Crawford, Jamie up but I called, I called, I called OJ and they were him and him and his wife, Jennifer were and Jennifer told me the story later, which this, this blew my mind. So they were in New York City, and and OJ was like distraught. Said so they pulled they pulled over. I don't know whether they're, if they're on a bridge or something. They pulled over, and he him and Jennifer started praying for my wife Laura right there. And when Jennifer told me the story, I was uh, but it just reminded me like that that his relationship with my wife had nothing to do with me. It's not because she's my wife. Right. Like OG and her were front like this, this bond we have is it, again, we shouldn't have to ask for people to be there. They're, they're, they're just, they're just, they're just going to be there. And which is why, which is why this hurts so much because um, I mean, I have no doubt those guys would do anything and anything for me as, as any of us would for them. And so like our, our entire class, I mean, we're, we're shook. We're shook, right? Because if the invisible enemy can get the best of us, then he can get any of us, right? And, that, and that's precisely what he did. I mean, these two guys were, like, the best we had, man. You Ask anybody who knew him. Like, I mean, and, and, and there are so many, like, and now they're a statistic, right? Like, I mean, this is, the veteran is, has a 63% more chance than a civilian to take their own life. 58%, now this number oscillates, 58% of these folks never deployed. Me, OJ, and Brian have that in common. None of us deployed. And people say, oh, how can you have PTSD? The number one component of post-traumatic stress syndrome isn't killing someone or is someone watching someone be killed. It's guilt. I, I'll, I'll never forget OJ telling me how he, like his, it was his unit that 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 captured Saddam Hussein. Like Brian would tell me all the time, I didn't do enough, I didn't do enough, Guess, you know who else you hear that from? SF guys who did three, four, five, six combat tours, right? Just like you said, Philip, what is enough? Nothing's enough. Um, four out of five of us are men because we suck at, at doing this. We suck at talking about our feelings. Nine out of ten are with a firearm and you and I could talk about that a whole other podcast. Because I, I mean, we can, we, we do need to tackle that at some point. Conversations that people don't want to have. If I, I'm not allowed to have a gun now, like during the election, I was like, I was like, well, honey, we need to get a gun. And my wife's like, are you an idiot? She's like, alcoholics don't sleep with bourbon. Guys that try to take their own lives probably shouldn't sleep with a nine millimeter under their bed. And then the last part is, and this is probably the most important piece because the vicious cycle to me is, is kids are four times more likely to do it, Philip, when when their parents have. And, um, you know, this is the other thing they teach you in training is like, you should never, they call it shame someone, right? Like you should never say, Hey, don't do it because of me. Well, I've told Dr. Glenda to this before. I it's like, I'm not going out like that. My worst fear in life is something happening to me and someone tell someone or someone thinking that I took my own life. Uh, um, Cause I, I made a promise to Chris Landry, Audrey and, and, um, and Avery that, that I'm, I'm going to be at their, wed- their, their weddings. I'm going to be, I'm going to be there for them. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going out that way. And I've been told by professionals that I shouldn't say that. Well, I'm saying it right. I know you're, you're big on, you become what you think. You become your thoughts, right? You, you, and you have to walk towards those. And man, it's a lot like I've never surfed before, but the waves still come, but I I can ride the wave now. And knowing that it's, it's a permanent problem to a temporary, it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem, man. And Listen, when, when you're when you're in that place, especially when it comes to like the anxiety piece, like you're in the dark and you know there's light, but your eyes become used to the dark. If you keep walking towards the light and you let people love you, um, that's the I think that's the key thing here. You know, let yourself be loved. Right. I, I don't know. To me, I mean, I hear about self-love. Uh, to me, that's that's a bunch of hogwash. Right. Like you got to be a part of something bigger than yourself and, and you got you have to let other people take care of you. And yeah, I hate this. I mean, you say it's easier. I can't stand talking about this. I, I, I often wonder, like, is it ever going to get easier for me? I'd rather talk about how awesome I am, the things I've accomplished. Right? I'd rather tell you about how many state championships I won, how I'm in a Veterans Hall of Fame, how I was the youngest cast ever. I could talk about, like, the worst. I mean, those are probably the worst three days of my life. And that's what I pretty much talk about just about every day. Um, but that not telling anybody that doesn't help anyone. And and I know for a fact that their families, they they, they don't want anybody to go through this. If we can stop one person from going through this. Listen, almost every person I talk to says my people would be better off without me. The data doesn't support that, Philip. As a matter of fact, it is the complete opposite. I've never met a single person in my life who said, yes, I am glad uh, Philip is gone. No
1: way. Yeah. Well, I think the message here is just, look, we all suffer. If you're there, you're suffering from that feeling of terminal uniqueness. I thought no one else felt the way that I felt. And here you are saying that we all thought the same exact thing. So none of us were all that different. And there is a solution. And on the other side of it is a a sense of meaning and purpose, aligning with something outside of ourselves. And I found that the more I talk about it, it does get easier. It does get easier Mm -hmm. to do. It does get easier because the more people I'm able to help, it's just one more person right it's just another win there are people that i lost and and they can't come back but this next person in front of me is equally valuable and i can help that person there is something i can do and you we talked about it multiple times that we're uniquely qualified to help another person so with our story wherever you are in that struggle your story can benefit someone else because there's someone else that feels the way that you feel right we're not terminally unique so you know this has been a great first episode i'm glad that we were able to to connect I know we talked about some heavy stuff here and for the family afterwards and the employers and the people. I mean, it is a family, you know, a family disease. It's a family thing and it affects everyone around us, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and hopefully there's some healing that comes out of this podcast. But hopefully there's more important than that. Not more important, but in addition to that, there is some permission given to just go ahead and take surrender to win. Surrender is not a word we like. But that's exactly what it is. Acceptance is the answer. It's not about fighting that voice. It's not about fighting that feeling—depression, anxiety. We're not, we're not battling that. We surrender to win when we accept that it is a thing. We then can take steps. Mood follows action, right? Act your way into a better way of thinking. There are things we can do to feel different. We have to start doing it first, but we don't know what to do. And and if you're there,
2: yeah. I, I mean, listen, I'm I'm not a guy holding a Bible verse on the street corner. But I, but I will tell you that what you said is so accurate, Philip, like I tried to accomplish my way out of depression and, and you can't. And when I finally you know, surrendered myself to to the, to the will of Jesus, right, it, it was amazing, like how much my life my life changed. Right. And how, how the healing started, because I realized, like, hey, I'm not in control of this anymore. Like I'm not the good or the bad. Right. If I if I give it all to him now, now it's it's really hard to, to really have anything to worry about now. Now all I can do is what I try to teach my sons is just just do your very best at everything you, you can, and and you you just have to live with the rest. I mean, anyone listening to this, like West Point taught us how to fail, right? Everybody had failed at something at some point in West Point. Now I'm not talking about you know classes or whatever, but there's something that, that they weren't the best at, right? That that's what that institution does to you. But I, I think what happens is we we become this. Uh, you know, we need to, we need to understand how, like, what is, what is grace? Grace is what you don't deserve or what you didn't earn. Right. Like uh, my wife loving me when I didn't deserve to be loved by her anymore. That, to me, that that's God's grace. I mean, and, 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 you know, I just urge all of you, like, if you think someone's hurting and my wife told me she loved me every single, she does every single day. And you think they're not hearing it, but they are, man, That they are. And, Um, and if it wasn't for her love, like no question, I I wouldn't be here. And I, to me like that, to me, that that's the the biggest thing, right. Is like, nobody's ever, nobody's ever died from being loved too much. And we we think anger has this negative connotation. I mean, 99, we got to start, like, we can't lose any more people, man. Like one, one more is too much. And it just gets to the point, you know, and I know that if OJ and Brian were here, they would be they would be the first people on this call, you know, and just to the, to our folks still out there, you know, active duty, Joey Ballgame, uh, you know, Adisa, you know, Rob Shaw, like and I know they're dealing with it with with, with their soldiers. And, you know, I I, I urge I know I, I urge you guys like put me in, use me. I know I know the Pentagon sending me to Korea, to Alaska. Like I have no problem. Uh, I just it's it's such a tougher world, right? Then there's just so much. There's so much more crap than than we had growing up. Like I, I never once had. A, I mean, I know I know we gotta get off, but I remember being at West Point, Philip, and I remember there was a suicide there when I, my plebe year. I think it was somebody who jumped off Bradley Barracks or shot themselves. I forget which one it was. The next day at formation, uh, an upperclassman was like, oh, that person was just looking for attention." And I was a plebe, so I, you know, just didn't think anything of it. And again, I would never have a suicidal. Uh, probably love myself too much to ever think about, you know getting rid of getting rid of me and i think back like that i just like believe that i don't know because you know first you said it so it's got to be true like you don't do the swan dive off of bradley barracks if you're trying to look for attention right you 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 do a couple other things you i mean that person was in, in so much pain and that's what they want right they want life as they know it to and they want the pain to end they want other people's pain to end and and again i don't want to discount like how how much physical pain I'm in. I'm still in. I mean, uh, you mentioned the story you had. I had a, I had a young soldier or a young veteran basically took his life while he was on the phone with me. And like for a week after I couldn't talk, like my whole left side of my body was numb. And, you know, it took a long time, took, you know, many sessions, many therapy sessions that I still do. And having blessed that people like Glenda in my life saying, no, man, your body's just shutting down. It's reacting. It's your fight or flight response. And it's hard to understand that because, when those neurons start firing in your brain, man, like it, it basically your, your brain is broken. And um, at that, you know, if, if, if you had cancer, we would give you chemo. If, if your leg was broken, we would we would give you a cast. So you gotta treat this just like you would any other. And, and we talk about mental health. There is no mental health. It, it's just, at this point, it's just health. It, it's, it, you know, it's just health. And, you know, I get, we can get a, a deeper dive, you know, later about some other things but um I, I hope this i hope this gives one person in my class just one one nugget to use yeah. again even if it's not for themselves for somebody they love because that'd be my piece out of this is nobody nobody beats alone so somebody knows you're hurting listen they may get mad at you they may get ticked off what's the alternative right like I, I'd, I'd rather have you mad at me right I, I, hey we're going in or i'd rather have someone ticked off at me than than than, than speaking at their at their yeah. funeral uh, I'm officially retiring from doing eulogies. So, class of 99, like we're, yeah. we're done.
1: I'd rather hurt your feelings than stand over your grave. Um, so, yeah. Well, look, man, thanks so much for joining us for episode number one. We're going to do some more with you. Uh, we talked about that. There's some other stuff. But, yeah, if you're out there and you're, um, if anything resonated with you, reach out. We talked about connecting with a power greater than yourself. And that is the community. That's this podcast. That's the people. Even if you're not there with anything else, at least you have that. So, Talk to you
2: soon. Ninety nine, love y'all, man. Love y'all. Right there, baby. Do to your mind. Thanks, Phil. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to the We Got Your Six podcast, where we are on a mission to end veteran suicide. If you are struggling with thoughts of hopelessness or suicide, please reach out to family, friends, a classmate or call or text the number 988 for immediate help. We are here for you, and we want you to be here with us tomorrow. If you have a story to share on this podcast, please email us at admin at 99legacyfund.org. The We Got Your Six podcast is a production of the West Point Class of 1999 and the 99 Legacy Fund. The podcast is hosted by Philip Nathrum and produced by Brennan Wallace, with technical production by Scott Bronikowski. If you would like to make a tax-deductible donation towards the 99 Legacy Fund's mission to support the survivors of our fallen, please visit www.99legacyfund.org to donate, with duty in mind.